Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. Well, here it is. We've reached the motherland and the holy grail of our program. Boy, in just a few short minutes, we're going to make amends and we're going to walk away a new person. As every TV show movie of a amends process seems to think, that's about as true as the fact that every TV show depicting an AA meeting has coffee as good as Starbucks. It's not true. You cannot jump from step one, or excuse me, step zero, to step nine. You cannot bypass the line. You can't jump ahead. Part of the reason these steps are in this particular order is because the growth path requires it. Until we become right with ourselves, myself, how can I apologize to anybody and have it mean anything? Until I clear my own decks of all of my wreckage, how can I expect anyone else to look at me and do the same? This process starts internally before it goes external. So remember, you will get to this step. Just don't jump ahead. Do the other work first. This is like Joe and Charlie said. Our textbook is taking us step by step. We've learned to add and subtract, multiply. Now we're getting into the deep calculus and physics that is interpersonal relationships. So we're going to look at the next two steps, steps eight and nine now, as getting us right in our relationship with the world and everything in it. Nobody likes to do these things. I don't know of anybody that ever really wanted to go back and make a bunch of amends. I don't know of anybody that really likes to apologize or take from today's money and pay back from things in the past. The question is, can we or can we not live without doing steps eight and nine? You see this storeroom in the back of my head that's filled with shame, guilt, and remorse associated with the people I've hurt in the past. I haven't emptied it out yet. I emptied out the resentments. I emptied out the fears. But the guilt and the remorse is still back there. So now then I'm going to start working on that room, empty it out, and then God will be able to enter that part of my mind also. Now in the beginning, if you read the forwards, it looks like Dr. Bob never took another drink after Bill called on him. But really he did. He got drunk one more time. Shortly after Bill called on him and they got started together, he felt it necessary that he go to a medical convention. And Ann, his wife, begged Bill not to let him go. He said, Bill, if he goes over there, he'll get drunk. He said, he does it every year. And Bill said, well, that's all right. If he gets drunk, we'll do something about that. That he's going to have to learn to live in society where there's plenty of alcohol. Turn him loose. Dr. Bob went over there and got drunk. And when he came back, he showed up at his nurse's home drunk. Now, Bill and Ann are waiting at Dr. Bob's house. The nurse calls him and said, come and get him, he's drunk. Said, take him home and sober him up. Said, he got surgery in the morning. He's the only doctor on staff that can perform this particular surgery. As Joe said, he was a proctologist. 
I'm glad he wasn't working on my Procto the next morning. <laughs> they got him, took him home, sobered him up. The next morning, Bill took him to the hospital. And in the parking lot of the hospital, Dr. Bob said, Bill, I can't do this surgery. I'm sick. I'm shaking. I'm trembling. I'm going to hurt somebody. Bill reached in the back seat of the car and got out a bottle of beer and popped a cap on it and said, drink this and you'll be all right. Dr. Bob went upstairs, performed the surgery, and sure enough, it came out okay. The only problem is he disappeared. Bill's waiting on him in the parking lot, waits for hours. He doesn't show up. Bill goes back to Dr. Bob's house. Bill and Ann wait all afternoon. Late that evening, Dr. Bob shows up. Bill assumed he would be drunk. He assumed the beer triggered the allergy and he was off drinking. But Dr. Bob showed up sober. Bill said, where in the hell have you been? Dr. Bob said, I've been going up and down both sides of the street, making my amends to those I've harmed in the past. That beer that morning was the last drink Dr. Bob ever took. You see, he was ashamed of his alcoholism. He was afraid that if people knew he was an alcoholic, that he would lose his profession. He didn't have hardly any left anyhow. But the day he made his amends, that was the day he took his last drink. If it's good enough for him, probably good enough for me also. Let's look at steps eight and nine to get us right in our relationship with the world and everything in it. Joe? You know, in our discussions so many times, we talk about steps eight or nine. We end up talking about making amends and how we did it. But step eight is there for a particular reason. So we'll do step eight first, and then we'll talk about nine. You know, it says, now we need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps eight and nine. So we have a list of all persons we had harmed. Well, where do we get that list from? All those people on column one through all those inventory sheets. Now we just take them off of that list and put them on one long list. Haven't made any amends yet. We just took them off the list, made one long list out of it. <clears throat> and to whom we're willing to make amends. And if we're not willing, we ask God to help us to become willing. We made it when we took an inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Again, we look in the fourth column and see those things that we did. We were selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate, self-seeking, and frightened. Those are the things that we look at. And we see how we've harmed other people by those items. So now we're about to go out to our fellows and repair the damage. We attempt to sweep away the debris which accumulate out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. More prayer. See, I haven't made any amends yet. I've just made a list, and now I've become willing to the list. And if I'm not willing, then I ask God to help me to become willing. Still haven't made any amends yet. That's the importance of step eight. First, you know, there's a little story that I, I don't like to tell on myself, but I must. <clears throat> but a few months ago, I went into this grocery store, and I bought a few groceries, and I gave this lady a $10 bill. And she gave me change for a $20 bill. And I stood right there and watched her do it. And I knew she was doing it. Well, I grabbed that $20 of change from it and slammed it in my pocket and run out the door and got out in my car. And I sat there and I said, my God, I've sold out for 10 bucks. <laughs> I thought it was worth more than that. But I felt terrible. So I went back into the store and I told that lady, I said, look, you counted me too much change and I want to give you $10 back. And, she, and I said, I'm a member of a fellowship that requires me to do that. And she said, I've never heard of a fellowship like that. But the point is, when I went out of the store the next time, I felt good. I felt real good that I did the right thing.
I was wrong and I went back and I paid the lady back. That's why I do these things. That's why I make amends, just to set right or wrong. I feel good, but that's not the primary reason to do this. It's because it is right. It's, it's right to set right a wrong. That's what amendment means. You know, we have amendments to our Constitution from time to time. And it says we just make right a wrong. That's all. Of course, the really important point on that little story is he's practicing steps six and seven, too. Now, here he had an opportunity to be honest instead of dishonest. And with God's help, he forced himself to be honest. Now, the next time, it's going to be harder for him to pick up that $10 and carry it out. I hope. You do that long enough, you change. <laughs> now, as we look at step nine now, we've made our list, we've become willing to the list, and now then we see about making the amends themselves. Step nine tells us the kind of amends to make. We made direct amends. It tells us when to make them wherever possible. It tells us when not to make them, except when to do so would injure them or others. So let's look at these three things involved in step nine, and we're going to find for the next few pages, Bill deals with these things paragraph by paragraph by paragraph, which is his usual way of doing things. Let's see what he means by made direct amends. The book's going to give us an example of two kinds of direct amends. One kind, we believe, is eyeball to eyeball, face to face, one on one. The purpose of me making these amends is really not to make other people like me. Hopefully they will when I'm through. But the real purpose is to get rid of my guilt, my remorse, and my fear associated with that thing. If I write you a letter, I'm never quite sure how you received it. I'm still afraid of what you're going to do next time I run into you. I'm not sure I've done my utmost. If I call you on the telephone, I've got the same situation. But if I go see you wherever you might be, your home, your office, your wherever, and I sit down with you eyeball to eyeball, face to face, one-on-one, -on -one, and make my men when I'm through with it, I never have to worry about it again. You will have done all you're going to do to me, plus I've done my utmost. He deals with that kind of a man on page 77, second paragraph, middle of the paragraph. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. You know, in this area of making amends, I, this is just an opinion of mine, but I think I need my sponsor here more than ever because I'm about to re try to repair some damage that I've done, and I'm going to make sure that I'm doing it in the right way. And my zeal sometimes to go out and apologize or to make amends or to set right or wrong, I may harm other people in doing so if some of those things were disclosed. So I need to talk these over with another human being, find out which way and what way is the best way to do this. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we've done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bed in our teeth. It's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. 
Simply we tell him that we will never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the past. We're there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. Now, if our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the results. In nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are <clears throat> calling him on admits his own faults, so feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former, former enemies sometimes praise what we're doing and wish us well. Occasionally they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. And that area always reminds me of the amends that I made to my cousin. I was in a restaurant one day, and I'd never been in that restaurant before, and I haven't been in that restaurant since. Come to find out that the same for Gary. Well, Gary came in that restaurant, and I saw him at the door. And I thought, well, this must be the wherever. Well, that certainly wasn't whenever. It was wherever possible. And I motioned Gary to come over, and he came over reluctantly. Now, Gary and I had been enemies for many, many, many years. <clears throat> and every time we got together anywhere near close, we physically fought. Believe he was just like me. So I motioned him over, and he came, and he sat down reluctantly. And I told Gary, I said, Gary, I want to apologize to you for all those things that I've done in the past. I ask you to forgive me for all the fights and the things that's happened to us. And he said, you know, I've been wanting to ask you to do that same thing for me. All that just went away. Now, the upshot of this story is that Gary <clears throat> comes to Alcoholics Anonymous from time to time. Not often. He used to be a daily drinker. Now he's a periodic. And he's making progress. <clears throat> so Gary, when he comes to Alcoholics Anonymous, he comes to the group that I attend. And when he comes, he sits to my right and he and I visit about this program. That couldn't have ever happened unless these amends were made. We set right or wrong. Our relationship is good. And hopefully someday I pray that he'll get sober. Eyeball to eyeball, face to face, one on one. Now if that will work with an enemy, one that you hate, surely it would work with somebody that you just kind of dislike them. Sure, it would work with somebody you just really don't care too much about them. Sure, it would work with one you like. And sure, it would work with one you love also. I said at the top that basically the TV version of an amends looks easy, and I guess it makes great TV. We've wrapped everything up, put a bow on it. But one of the things that uh, also happens when you are doing your amends is you're having to relive the past. I have to go back and say, who did I harm and how, and who, to the extent that I can do it without harming them more, say, I'm sorry, or give uh, restitution. Oh, yeah, there's monetary restitution. There's a story in here about a guy who spent 30 years paying off debt because he had scammed people for years while he was drinking. So it's not just saying, sorry, see you, bye, I'm all ready to go. There's some deep issues here that you need to work through. And sometimes we end up in a jackpot. I have friends of mine that have had to pay for problems and issues from when they were drinking months, if not years, after they got sober. I guess in a way you could call them unintended amends. 
but really they are amends in their own way. They are making restitution in a way, shape, or form for something they did in their past. The other item I want to address here before I finish up is when we harm our loved ones, when we make them feel like they've been raked over the coals for weeks, months, and years, I did this. And it is even today, five plus years into my sobriety, that every day I think about how I am doing my daily amends to those people that I love to show them that I am no longer the way I was. Because even now, they can fear that I could turn on a dime because I am a recovering alcoholic and I only have today. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive, Joe and Charlie podcast.